All right, well, uh, good afternoon to everybody. Good evening, good morning, depending where you are. Here we are again with another very exciting seminar. And today we have uh, John uh, sharing with us the, um, the, the theme of how nonprofits can thrive in the midst of major world crisis. I'm excited. Let's see uh, what uh, John has for us today. And it's uh, John Ewan, and uh, it's a pleasure to have you here today, John. Thank you, Ruben. I'm just gonna share my screen really quick with you. Perfect. Hello, everyone. My name is John Wynn. I'm actually gonna be collaborating today with Bo Kim from Fusion Ministries. I'm gonna be able to highlight him later on, but I just wanna share with you a little bit about myself. Uh, I am the Director of Development for Center for Online Evangelism. Uh, I, uh, a little bit about my background is that uh, I started off as a fundraiser within the Adventist Church. It's been 10 years so far since I've been doing this, uh, but I first started off uh, at a ministry called Breath of Life. I was actually, before that, I was actually doing marketing, uh, freelance marketing, and somebody from the Adventist Church came and recruited me to become a fundraiser for the Adventist Church. And uh, at first I said, you know what, uh, I'm honored for this privilege. Uh, but actually, number one, I don't beg for money. And number two, I'm Asian, so I really don't beg for money. And uh, at that time, somebody said, you know, she, she said, the recruiter said that, that she started laughing. She says, John, that's not what philanthropy is all about. Uh, you're going to be able to, to navigate and help. Uh, a lot of people want to give. They just don't know how to give or, in, a way, uh, in, in, a, in an effective way. Uh, Bill Gates for the longest time was accused for being a selfish guy because he wouldn't give to philanthropy. And uh, Bill Gates, they interviewed him and uh, he said, you know what? It's not because I don't want to give away money. It's because it's actually easier to make money than to give it away effectively and efficiently. Right. And so I started my journey on guiding donors on how to give their money away to, to ministries. Um, I started off at Breath of Life as their fundraising slash marketing coordinator. Uh, later on, after two years, I moved to Hope Channel at the world headquarters of the Adventist Church uh, uh, to where I was focusing on major gifts and annual givings. So uh, at Breath of Life, I was focusing on major gifts for uh, the $5,000 range. When I got to Hope Channel, it was more of the $25,000 uh, range. And then after that, I decided to uh, move back to Southern California to witness to my dad, who was Buddhist. At that time, we were raising millions of dollars for the, the, the Hope Channel to send missionaries uh, out there and to put up satellites. But you know, uh, something was impressing upon my heart. Uh, God was basically saying, John, um, out of all the parents I could have given you, I placed you in front of these parents. You know, and uh, it was for a witnessing opportunity. And I moved back to Southern California and I didn't want to feel as if one of those pastors where they save their whole entire congregation, but lose their family in the process. So I moved back to Southern California. And for, uh, for five years, I worked uh, for my uh, college that I graduated from. It was a secular university. It's called Cal Poly Pomona. I worked for the College of Engineering, where I help uh, the threshold for raising money there is uh, for major gifts is $100,000 and above. Uh, and that's what I've been doing so far. Uh, and then I also do, I have an itch for uh, evangelism in general or the, the Adventist church. 
there is a void of me that can never be filled and unless I do uh, uh, ministry work. And so I do uh, consulting as well too. Uh, and one of the, the, the uh, organizations that I do consulting for is for Center for Online Evangelism. And I'm the director of development there. Um, so that's a little bit about my background. And today we're gonna to be discussing on how nonprofits can thrive in the midst of a world crisis, right? With all these craziness happening and, and that is going on, um, what can we do? You know, oftentimes it is very difficult, but I wanna to suggest to you, and, and we're gonna get into it, is that there is hope. Actually, there is, there is just so much opportunity. I'm just smiling, just thinking of the opportunities out there. Uh, but first, I just wanna submit a poll question. I, I don't know if you guys are shy, hopefully not, but I wanna ask you guys a poll question. You can go ahead in your poll and, uh, and answer this question. It's uh, during COVID-19, which of the following do you feel? A, my church slash ministry slash business has declined. B, my church ministry and business has stayed the same. Or C, my church ministry business uh, has progressed during the whole entire COVID-19, right? Many of the things that I'm gonna be talking about today as I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for the polls to come out in, but many of the things that we're gonna be talking about today is um, interchangeable, meaning that it could be applied to nonprofits as well as businesses and, and ministries in general. Uh, many of the concepts of, of when I talk about uh, donors, it could be applied to customers as well too. It's gonna to be um, something that I'm hoping that, that you'll be able to see a different perspective that you've never seen before. Uh, and so with that, we're just waiting for the polls to come on in during this COVID time, how do, how do you feel uh, about uh, your church? Has it progressed? Has it stayed the same or has it been declined? Um, there you go, John. Uh, we're just waiting a little bit more for people to participate. And we have the another 15, 20 seconds we can close it. You know, it's, uh, it's funny because oftentimes during this time, we scale back as a church. You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jump before we- I have a results for you, John, and I have the results for you already. Sure. And uh, what we have is, uh, well, 30% my church business has declined and then uh, the other split pretty much on the, the rest, 35, 35, my church ministry has stayed the same and my church business has progressed. Mm, awesome. Great. Thank you, Ruben, for that. Thank you, everybody, for participating. Hopefully, I'm. A, if you guys ever see me lead a Sabbath school or something like that, I like it interactive. I don't like the, the format where somebody is constantly talking and there's no response from the crowd. So feel free to, you know, submit your questions at the end as well as uh, uh, interact with the poll questions as well, too. You know, during an economic downturn, our natural instinct by nature is to actually scale down. It is something that I find it very weird, uh, not only in nonprofits around the world, but in churches, particularly the Adventist church, we tend to scale down, you know, uh, and uh, cut people and so forth, right? It's funny uh, because in the line of fundraising as what I do for my career, uh, my job, my position always gets cut the first one. We're always the first one to be cut. It's a weird thing because I'm the only department that brings in money. All the other departments spend money. 
So <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird uh, uh, thing that, that people will think about. But uh, actually during this time, instead of scaling down, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you a perspective that maybe we should scale up instead, right? We are, in fact, the last day's church, right? We're the remnant church. And especially when chaos is going on around us, it is the perfect time to scale up instead, right? Uh, and the rule of thumb is, throughout the whole entire session, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reemphasize this again. Whoever pivots the fastest wins whether it be in business, whether it be in ministry or nonprofits in general, whoever pivots the fastest wins in COVID times and, and, and during chaos and riots and so forth. Okay? I want to share with you a, a couple of potentials just to open up your mind a little bit. Okay? Economic potential right now, even though businesses are failing, online retail is, is booming and buzz, booming right now. Actually, I had a friend the other day, uh, uh, Jonathan Otto, I'm gonna give him a shout out real quick. He, and the guy just brought in a million dollars off of his online retail e-commerce. Health and wellness is at an all time high. Everybody's just searching for wellness because how do we, how do we uh, prevent ourselves from Corona and so forth, right? We have education just bursting from the seams because schools are closed. Right? Those are some of the things that we can pivot about. Yeah, sure, schools are closed, but that means more people are homeschooled. How do we fill that gap? Fitness, boy, if you were to type this in in Google, the, the, the curve of fitness, of, of how we, the fitness industry, just, of course, the physical side has declined, but the fitness products out there just shot straight up. To give you an example, uh, uh, I work out four, four to five days a week and so forth, right? And I believe it's, the, it's a complete message of, I know Bo does this as well too. I really believe in the health message as a whole. And uh, I believe like Adventists only have half of the health message and the other half is actually fitness as well too. And uh, when it comes to fitness, man, during that time, I couldn't go to my gym and my dumbbells and my dumbbells, regular dumbbells that I wanted to buy, there were these adjustable Bofex uh, the, uh, uh, dumbbells that cost um, only $200 for regular price. But during COVID, it shot up to $700, $700. And I thought, man, that's crazy. Who can justify these dumbbells, right? And uh, you know, another industry that is booming is sanitation. How do we keep things sanitized throughout the whole entire place, right? See, when you start thinking outside the box, man, things happen for you when you have the resilience to, to refuse to be stuck in, in COVID and, and, and meaning that, hey, we only can do one way, this is it. You, you have to be able to pivot, right? And so uh, I, I just want to give you an example. Uh, one of my jobs, what I do is people ask me, hey, what do I do uh, for my job? And, and I'll tell you this, uh, I basically have a lot of lunches with a lot of wealthy people. And one of the favorite, my favorite questions to ask them is, how did you, what makes you so successful? Right? What made you into the person that you are today? And I was talking with this, this guy that owned a construction company. He um, was bringing in uh, $500 million a year. And he says, you know what, John? I can bring this company overnight to $1 billion if I wanted to. And nothing is stopping me. The only thing that's stopping me is hiring quality people. Right? And 
he notices, he tells me that every time that there's a recession and people start, started to lay off people, he would actually reach out to the most talented people and hire them onto his team. So that once the recession ends, he shoots up exponentially. Actually, he's one of the few comp construction companies right now that, that is thriving off that pr process that I just told you. I want to share with you the nonprofit potential out there. And, the, the, and we'll, we'll get into this in a more deeper detail, but even a nonprofit potential. UC Berkeley just released this about two weeks ago to its alumni and friends. The, the, the secular university raised a billion dollars in one year a billion dollars in one year. During COVID, they broke their record for raising a billion dollars in one year. Can you even fathom how much money that is? This is when uh, they say that, hey, nonprofits can't thrive during this time and, and, and it's not gonna work. UC Berkeley did this and we have the gospel. How much more are we lacking, right? How, what makes us not competitive? This gives us hope. I want to share with you. Um, I want to share with you this evangelism potential out there. It's just bursting at the seams, man. Some days I can't even sleep, guys. Some days I wake up. I, I'm at night in the middle of the night. And I wake up, and it's just so much potential out there for an Advent. It is a great time to be an Adventist, and I hope that you can say amen with that. Evangelism potential out there, man. Look at this. This is one of the headlines that came out when COVID hit. Coronavirus, uh, this is, coronavirus leads to a surge in wills, like estate planning and so forth, right? Everyone was just is, is thinking about their mortality. Businesses are, have been increasing like drastically. Everyone wants to do their wills. I can tell you from a fundraising perspective, a lot of people wanted to contact me and say, hey, John, I think it's time for, for me to talk about uh, leaving a will to, to, to my organization. How can we talk? Right? And people are scared of dying during this time. What does that mean to you as an Adventist? What does it mean to you? Record-breaking prayer requests, all-time high, triple the amount. It is the highest prayer request that it's ever, it says that during COVID time, for every 18,000 people, cases, for every 18 cases, Google search doubled on prayer requests. What does that mean to you as, as, as an evangelist for, for, for the Adventist Church? What does that tell you? Mental health problems. The U.S. Census Bureau recently reported that a third of Americans so, show signs of clinical depression. A third, guys. They're suffering from the, the trauma from widespread diseases, grief over a loss of life, fear of getting sick, right? physical distancing, the loss of a community. Man, people are hurting out there. If you're wondering how you can pivot as, as an Adventist or as a church member, I can tell you that this is our prime time. Don't lose out on that opportunity. People are hurting out there, and we have the gospel that can bring healing to this, these people. I have this thing um, that I teach in some of my, my, my fundraising workshops. Um, I call it the three Bs. Belonging, belief, and behave. Belonging, belief, and behave. And this is, is one of the things that can be applied to any business, 
nonprofits and, and certainly in, in church ministry in general. I, I want to ask you this poll question. Okay, this is for y'all. Yes, you guys know that I like it to be interactive. Poll question is this. In terms of sharing the gospel, what does your church tend to focus on? Belonging, belief, behavior. Let's wait for the polls for that. Ruben, if you can help us out with that. In terms of sharing the gospel, what does your church tend to focus on? And, and I, I want to say right off the, the bat and so forth, right? When it comes to the Seventh-day Adventist church or your church in general, what are the typical things that you can only pick one? What is it? Is your core value like, hey, we focus on the belief, sharing our beliefs? Is it we help people to belong? Or, or is it, hey, we, we focus on their behavior? What is it? I know that uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church has a uh, different uh, take on it. Um, every, every spectrum, uh, everybody's on the spectrum of the Adventist Church and everybody, every church is different. But um, I'd love to be able to hear what, what uh, some of the options that you have. There we go. And uh, we have results right here. We have the majority focus on belief. belief. So 65% and then 35% on behavior, not okay. on belonging. Okay, great, great. Stay there, guys. This is my, my, my last poll question for this segment, and then Bo's going to ask you other questions, but I want you to jump into the next question right off the bat, okay? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about um, what the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes right here. Jump into the next one right here. What method do you think Christ used? Okay. What method do you think Christ used? Belonging, belief, or behavior? What method do you think Christ used? Belonging, belief, or behavior? The other one was, what methods do your church tend to use? This one is, what method do you think Christ uses? Okay. Uh, I want to share with you that the reality of the evidence church you picked, you picked actually uh, belief. But I would actually argue with you that the Seventh-day Adventist church in general, not, not every church, actually focuses on behavior instead. And you might disagree with me on that, but I'll give you some examples. We tend to focus on the behavior, on the behaviors what they eat, what they dress, how they look like when they step into church. And that's one of our, our things that we wanna do is we wanna be able to, to, to make sure that, hey, do those people fit us? Do they look like us? Do they act like us? Do they even have the potential to be reached to, right? I would argue that the, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in general, we tend to focus, even though we say belief, it is actually more of we, focusing, we focus on behavior. Uh, Ruben, do you have the, the poll question of what method do you think Christ used? Yes, we'll get it out now. And there you go, uh, the vast majority, 90% is belong. Then we have 7% belief and 3% behavior. Mm. What does that tell you? What does that tell you when Christ's method, you're saying that Christ's method is different from the church's methods. There's a, there's a disconnect. Something isn't right right here. And I wanna share with you Christ's method, okay? I wanna share with you Christ's method. 
Christ's method alone and ministry of healing. And Bo's going to be able to touch more on this right here. Christ's method alone will give us true success in reaching to the people. The Savior mingled with people as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Then he invited them, follow me. It was that woman of the well, right? It was the leper, the, the, the leper people that had leprosies. It was the blind. It was the outcast. That when, they, when Jesus stepped into their presence, he didn't, he didn't share about his beliefs. That came much later, but he cared about them belonging to the creator. That as the creator, he said to them, I see you. Follow me. Your sins are forgiven, but that's after the fact. It was helping them feel as a human being, like a human being. Christ's method was to help them to belong. Let me ask you today, what method is your church engaged in? I want to continue the quote. If I haven't hammered this into your mind yet, we need to come close to the people by personal effort. If we, sorry, my screen is covered right here. If we would give less time to sermonizing and more to personal ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor will be relieved, the sick cared for, the sorrow, the sorrowing and the bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed, the inexperienced counseled. We are to weep with those who weep and to rejoice with those who rejoice, accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, and the power of love, of the love of God. Will, uh, 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 love of God, this work will not, cannot, and be without fruit. This was Christ's primary method of reaching out to people, was he cared about who they were and to make them feel as if they belong. I'm going to share with you the power of belonging. I'm going to give you uh, uh, several things, several takes, so that you, you can understand this power right here. Gang members. Man, I, I grew up in a low-income community. Every one of my friends, every one of my friends growing up, I, I grew up, I was probably one of the few Asians in, inside that community. It was a low-income community. And every one of my friends, when you ask the kids, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Every single one of us said, hey, we want to be a gang member when we grow up. Not, hey, I want to be a police officer, fireman, or doctor, lawyer, none of that. It was one that said, hey, I want to be a gang member when I grow up. Have you ever wondered why a person would go into a gang to join a gang? Like before they were even influenced by gang members, they, not everybody has this heart, hey, I want to go out and shoot somebody. Or, hey, I want to go out and rob, uh, rob a, a store or hurt people. No one, when they first start off and say, hey, I want to be that, I want to be that type of gang member. I will submit to you that the desire to be a gang member is a sense of belonging. It's because when they don't have a father at home, when they don't have a mother at home, or they don't, they don't have friends and they feel outcast, they have a gang group to, to join up in. Gang members, they get you, not on the behavior, not saying, hey, I want to be able to shoot somebody. No, no, that's the behavior. 
gangs work on the actual belonging. And then you get, they get you the belief system because you belong, you're gonna be able to go into the belief system. And then after that, they jump into the behavior. Everybody starts off with the belonging. And gang members are so successful at that. I wanna give you another example, cult leaders, cults. No one says, hey, I wanna be brainwashed right off the bat. No, it's not even the belief. It's not the behavior. It's the sense of belonging. Because if you can get them to belong, you can get them to believe, and then you can get them to behave. And when it comes to nonprofits, it, it operates the same way. Belong, believe, and behave. Uh, during the Great Recession, we have a tremendous amount of, of job loss and so forth. Right? It was a rough time for me to fundraise, but I'll I I tell you this, there is hope. Because even when I was fundraising during that time, uh, we were still able to bring in money right, as a ministry. In fact, I, I broke a five-year record during that time. And then later on, I Hope Channel, we, we broke a 10-year record. Right? But how did, it, how, did it, how did it impact giving? And I want, I want to point this out to you. Donors who were engaged not only showed, did not show much decline during, uh, donors who were faithful didn't show a lot of decline during this time. In fact, the, the ones that were engaged a lot more, as soon as the, 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 the economy recovered, it actually shot up exponentially. It's because the people were engaged. I gotta submit this, this question to you. When was the last time you checked about, you checked your supporters' well-being. When was the last time you actually called them up and said, hey, man, I'm not checking up on, on, on your donation or asking you for money or anything like that. But COVID time is pretty rough. How's your family doing? I can guarantee you when I called my, my top 50 donors, man, it was a roller coaster. Everybody picked up and said, John, wow, you actually cared about me? That's why I like working with you, John right? You care about me as a person. I'm going to give you an example right here, a conference flaw, the Adventist church in the conference flaw. And I've been advocating for this for a long time. Fundraising isn't just about asking for money. It's about good stewardship. When was the last time your conference called you and said, thank you for the offerings that you gave to it? When was the last time they, they gave you a call and said, hey, Ruben, hey, Bo, you know, there are many choices that you can give for your offerings. But thank you so much for choosing this conference to give to it. You would think twice about moving those offerings the next time you, they ask for an offering. If you're wondering why the church is in decline for tithes and offering, it is a no brainer because we don't care about, we just care about bringing in the money, but we don't care about the individual itself. Honestly, I think that we're missing out in a huge potential. People want to be heard. People want to be a part of something greater than themselves. I want to walk you through, I teach this in a more comprehensive courses that, that I do, but I'll walk you through a donor pipeline. The average donor pipeline works like this. They, uh, they, for a school or an academy and so forth, right? They start off as, as a student, 
right? And we'll ask them to give about $10 a month or something like that to give back to the university. And then after that, um, we, they get an entry level position. We'll ask them, hey, would you mind upgrading it to 15% on top of that? And then once they're a, a manager, we'll ask them, hey, you know what? Would you like to come and speak to some of our students? And then when they come to our students and so forth and, and they're, they're giving guest lectures and so forth, they feel as if they're a part of it. And I'll ask them the question, hey, you've seen the, the effects of, of these students. Would you be willing to sponsor a few sponsor, uh, scholarships for these students? And they'll say, yeah, I'd love to be able to do that. I've been giving for, for a long time and we've been interacting. And then later on, they become CEO. That's where the big money comes in. That's where the six, six figure gifts come in, right? And then after that, retirement, that's actually a larger amount. Many people accumulate their wealth, uh, not for the here and now, it's actually many deferred tax advantages later on, like their 401ks and real estate. The bulk of their giving actually is during the, the, end, time, the, the end of their life. But that's, the, that's something that can only be asked if you build that relationship over the years. One of the estate gifts is, is something so sacred as the complete trust that they give to you towards, towards your ministry, right? It's, it's, it's asking them for their legacy to continue on even when they pass away. So you kind of see that progression of engagement throughout, right? And um, I, just, I just want to run through real quick. During COVID, whoever engages their donors the most wins. And I've never seen this before. Actually, um, engagement not only helps you shelter the storm, but actually it allows you to act, I'm gonna say this straight out, uh, is that it allows you to steal donors from other organizations. <laughs> People have more free time on their hands for, for them to pick up your phone call. People are more lonely than ever for you to just to hear your voice and, and they wanna be able to have that friendship and that connection. More than ever, they pick up my phone calls. People do a lot of self-reflecting during this time and focus on more meaningful things in their life. And let me give you an example. When all the other ministries aren't connecting with their donors, you're connecting with them. You're making them feel as if they belong to you, that, you're, that they're one of you. And let, let me guess, even though on the ranking poll, before COVID, you on lowest on the totem poll, all of a sudden that engagement you've bumped them up to number one because all the other organizations aren't helping them to feel as if they belong. I want to submit to you this thought that if you can't help people be to belong during this time of COVID, it may be a sign that your ministry is struggling to stay relevant. If you can't pivot to help others feel like they belong during this time, it might be a, a time where you self-reflect on the ministry as a whole and ask yourself, are we even relevant to the community? I wanna, I wanna share with you a couple of tips before I switch over to Bo. Um, I'm just gonna run it through. It's, it's so hard to do a workshop on, on fundraising and, and kind of like uh, and ministries as a whole. And uh, so I just picked different quadrants of where your nonprofit might be, be lined up in. But I can tell you in academies and colleges right now is the perfect time to engage your alumni. Like I said before, a lot of alumni are uh, at home right now. They don't need a commute. They don't have a busy schedule like they used to. You can engage them and ask them to come speak at your academy to your students. 
I guarantee you that that is the ultimate engagement that they can feel as if they're, they're actually giving back. Set up mentorship opportunities, be a guest lecturer and so forth, right? Set up emergency funds for students and give a report on them. Set up a, a, a supporter focus group and ask, hey, how do, can you help us navigate on how we can, we can not only survive during COVID, but thrive during COVID? Hospitals, man. Uh, there was a hospital that uh, I, I shall not name the hospital, but uh, during that time, they actually shut down fundraising and stewardship. And I go, wow, that's crazy. You're missing out on so much opportunity out of all the places that people could give to you. The hype was COVID. They were labeled as heroes, right? So I'm asking you like ride the hero mentality of the COVID wave take people behind the scenes of, of how busy COVID is inside the hospital. What are some of the things that people can expect? Because they hear things in the news, but they don't get to see behind the scenes. Take them behind the scenes. Share health tips and so forth, right, from your local hospital and say, hey, if you were to be uh, infected with COVID, this is what you should expect when you're stepping into a hospital. How do you make people feel as if they're, they're more at ease and they feel belonging, sense belonging to the hospitals? Media, man, I didn't write a lot of points at this point for, for this one is because if you haven't transitioned to social media or, or, uh, or online evangelism, you are missing out. I used to be, I used to have to convince people all the time, Hey, uh, uh, digital evangelism is the way to go, but then I don't need to do convincing anymore. That is the only form of evangelism that the seven day Adventist church has access to right now. And I, I don't know why we're not investing all of our resources into it. But that is the only form of evangelism. The fact that we're doing this is digital evangelism. How do we make them feel as if they belong to a community of the evidence church? And if you ever want to get into, I want to give a quick plug to Center for Online Evangelism. If you look for resources and so forth, right? Um, please check them out. Humanitarian work. Check up on past and present supporters during this time. Great time to catch up with them with COVID. Ask them how they, how they can, uh, how you can improve as an organization. Two things, right? If you're open during this time, bring them out in the field with you. But if you're not open during this time, sit down with them and brainstorm with them. Ask them, hey, if we, we're, just, we're just taking the opportunity of this, at this time to, to make sure that, a structure, that we're structurally sound, right? Can you help me build the perfect mission trip later on so that we can, once this COVID is done, man, we're out. We're witnessing to thousands of people. I guarantee you that donors would want to be hands-on with you. I have this uh, two more slides and I'm going to hand it over to a great testimony. You're going to be able to hear awesome testimonies. I want to share this experience with you uh, from, from my journey. And it's this philosophy that, that I hold is Stay ready. Oh, actually, I typed this one wrong. It goes like this. Stay ready so when the opportunity comes, you don't need to get ready. During, for the longest time, um, I work for the Center for Online Evangelism, and one of the key things that we want to do is to clean up all the negative content online for the Adventist Church. When you type in Google, you won't see cult. You won't see Ellen White as a cult leader or anything like that. It would present healthy Adventist content. And for the longest time, this is something that I could have raised money for in about three months. But it took the Adventist church so long to get on board. They actually had to do a study to see if digital evangelism was relevant. 
And during that time, when you move so slow, you're missing out on these opportunities left and right. Now we're on board. But if we were on board a lot sooner, when co- as soon as COVID hit, we would have been right there. Right in the front lines. When people were searching for prayers, they would see our Adventist content. I want to encourage you that as the world gets darker, we get brighter. Because God's light reflects and penetrates darkness. I want to submit to you that our job is to make sure that we help people to belong to the family of God. Whether it be in our personal life in forms of evangelism, whether it be the outreach and our nonprofits and how to make it thrive during this time, how to make us relevant is always constantly crisis method. How do we help them belong? And with that, I just want to kick it off to you. Uh, my friend, Bo Kim, uh, Man, I've been eyeing his ministry for a long time. And I can't wait till you hear about this. It's one of the most booming and active ministries during this time in Loma Linda right now, or San Bernardino. He uh, helps out homeless people and takes people on these journeys of helping out homeless people. It is the central pillar. The reason why I wanted to bring him on board rather than just, you know, lecturing to you is that you can get a glimpse of how ministry is done when you, when you help people to focus on that belonging aspect. With that, Bo, I'm gonna kick it off to you, brother. Thank you so much, Sean. Um, I wanted to start off with a poll question. Um, it's the second to last slide. And that question is, what builds trust between a ministry and the people they're working to help? Um, I don't know if you guys can see it on the screen, Option A would be offering Bible studies. Option B would be giving them relevant literature. Option C would be remembering their names. And option D would be all of the above. Um, I don't know if we're able to get a a census on this, if we're able to get a vote. We have it online. We just open it. I just have to wait a little bit for people to participate, but it's online for everybody. Okay. I'm a part of Fusion Ministries, and what that is, is um, we work with uh, people experiencing homelessness in San Bernardino, and we try to reach people using Christ's method, build relationships with them, Um, and it's been a a real um, change uh, as far as ministry perspective for me. Um, I'm so used to bringing people to church. We build relationships with church, and and, uh, then we would... um, um, bring them, invite them to Vespers, to church. When the pandemic hit, all those options were shut down, right? So, so what do we do? So one thing that we learned during this pandemic was um, bringing church to the people, um, which is the, the next question. Um, but as far as this question, what builds trust between a ministry and the people they're working to help? A, offering Bible studies. B, giving them relevant literature. C, remembering their names. And D, all of the above. Oh, interesting. We had uh, 100% on remembering their names. Correct. Amen. <laughs> Everybody Amen. chose that one. Amen. No other option. Amen. Um, uh, I think that a lot of times we 
we invite them to church. And once they come to church, then we get to know their names. Then we get to build relationships. But I, I want to propose a, a different method. Hey, may, maybe we should learn their names first. Maybe we should build relationships with them first before we invite them to church, right? Um, I have a second poll question uh, before we get going. In regards to church, are we called to A, bring people into the church um, and then get to know their name and build relationships? I guess we already went over this, but option B, bring the church to the people, right? Bring the church to the people. So A, bringing people into the church uh, and then getting to know them, building relationships with them, or option B, bringing church to the people, uh, wherever that may be. Should church be mobile? Um, so uh, A or B, uh, if I, I think this poll question is up in regards to the church. Are we called to option A, bring people into the church, or B, bring the church to the people? Um, which Just give a more a couple of seconds, and then we'll close the, the poll. Okay. Um, and then today, I wanted to talk about ministry using Christ's method, reaching people using Christ's method. Um, I just wanted to read this real quick. Uh, I got this from Ellen G. White in Gospel Workers. Uh, I'm sorry, the wrong slide. Um, should I start or should I wait for the poll? Uh, we have it now. Okay. And the results are 90% bring the church to the people, the 10% bring people into the church. Yes. And specifically, I'm talking about um, during this quarantine. So thank you guys for participating in the, in the poll. Um, so once again, today, I want to talk about reaching people um, in ministry using Christ's method. Um, for my second slide, I have uh, this slide says crisis equals opportunity. Um, I think if we look at the ministry of Paul, uh, the majority of his books were written while in quarantine, right? He was in quarantine. And, and he was able to, to reach the masses, the, the majority of his writings and his ministry was in quarantine. So it shows you can be thriving, you can be booming during a quarantine. Um, in my next slide, it's a beautiful quote by Elgie White. This is what I was referring to earlier, gospel workers. Men can shape circumstances, but circumstances should not be allowed to shape the man. We should seize upon circumstances as instruments with which to work we are to master them, but should not permit them to master us. Uh, my friend, Pastor Jasper, he uh, showed me this quote. And I think it's a beautiful um, quote, especially applicable to us today during this COVID-19 crisis, during this quarantine. Are we allowing our circumstances to shape us, our ministry, our church? Or are we seizing these circumstances and, and, and still working, mastering them um, and not allowing them to us to control our ministry, our church, right? Is our church mobile? Are we bringing church to, to the people? Whether that be in the streets, whether it be to our neighbors, whether it be to our church congregation, to our, whether it be our families, um, are we letting the, the situation control us or are we controlling the situation, right? Um, slide, the next slide um, is the method that I propose that we use for our churches, our ministries. Uh, once again, quoting Ellen G. White from the Ministry of Healing, page 143, Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. First, the Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. Secondly, he showed his sympathy for them. Third, he ministered to their needs. Fourth, he won their confidence. And lastly, 
he bade them follow me. Um, I want to go back to earlier, we were talking about how many times do we have a, a invite people, hey, come get baptized or hey, come to my church. And then and once you come to my church, then I'll get to know your name. Then I'll invite you to potluck and then we'll build a relationship together, right? How many times do we go to someone and just invite them before they come to church and say, hey, you know what? I'd like to invite you to my house to, ha to have a lunch. Hey, I'd like to learn your name. Hey, I'd love to get to know you. And then once we have a relationship, then invite them to church and then give them a goal track and then give them a, 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 a reading material and then invite them to a medical weekend clinic, right? Um, so I want to go over each of these five steps today. Number one, he mingled as one who desired their good. He mingled as one who desired their good, right? This is the, the first step, right? In Christ's method alone. My next slide says, people are not projects. I got this quote from, once again, my, my uh, good friend, Pastor Jasper. How many times do we look at people? Hey, I'm going into the community to change people's lives. I'm going into the community to make a difference. But people are not projects. People are people. And I think once we realize this, it, it changes the ministry, right? When, when did... When did I help you? When did I see you? When, when you fed the hungry, when you gave water to the poor, right? When you, when you gave a blanket to someone who was cold. If we viewed every person in the street, um, in our family, in our churches as Christ, how, how different would ministry look like? What would ministry look like then? If every person we walked by on the side of the street that was in need was Christ, and we viewed them as Christ, how would it look if each person we passed by was not a project, but Christ himself, actually, or a person, right? Um, I have a couple of pictures I wanted to show you what this may look like in picture form, right? So um, what does this look like in picture? I have four pictures to show you. He mingled as one who desired their good. It might look like this. So I have four pictures. Um, every day we go out and uh, we do pass out food, but we spend time at each location just listening to people. Right? I feel like we're called to bring church to the people. Uh, what does it look like to bring Sabbath to someone? Uh, maybe it might look like listening to someone, right? Bringing, bringing them rest, bringing them hope by hearing their stories, by, by mingling with one who desires their good as Christ did. Um, I have four pictures here uh, of some of our um, people in our ministry just um, spending time with our, our brothers. We go to the same locations. We interact with the same people. Um, we started in March, I believe the third week. I think this is week 18 or 19, uh, seven days a week. We go, uh, we pass out some food, um, and we just mingle with them. Uh, we desire their good. We listen to them. We spend time with them. Um, I have a story about this, um, this uh, an example. So he mingled with them and desired their good. I have a brother in the streets. His name is Emo. Um, and when we first met him, he was actually in the shelter. He was homeless. Uh, he, he didn't have much going for him. Um, and we would visit him once a week. And now during the pandemic, we started visiting him every day of the week. We'd bring him food and we would just listen to his story. And uh, it turns out that he had been kicked out of his home by his father. Um, and so every day we would go uh, hear his story and he would tell us his hopes, his dreams. And uh, one day um, he said, hey, why do you guys come out here every day, right? And we said, hey, um, Imo, we care about you. We want to get to know you. 
Um, and he said, are you guys Christians? And we said, uh, yeah, um, we, we go to this church um, every Saturday. And he, he said, hey, you know, I, I would lo love to know more about this guy. And he started coming with us. And this is pre-pandemic. And he started volunteering at the church. He actually worked in the sound booth. Uh, he, he has a passion for, for uh, music. And he's like, hey, you know, I would love to volunteer in the sound booth. And then he built um, friendships, relationships that turned into Bible studies. Uh, and he got baptized about a month ago. Uh, this is during the, the, the quarantine, during this pandemic. But it was because initially we mingled with him. We sought his good. Uh, and uh, a team of us actually helped him um, fill out his resume, apply for jobs. And last, this last Tuesday was his first day at work. He got hired. He's, he's full time. He's working at a warehouse right now. And uh, I think... You know, this is not the case with every single person we work with. We see about 120 to 200 people a day. Um, but I would like to give some examples of what it could look like. Um, once again, not every single time, but what it could look like using Christ's method. Um, once again, that's Brother Emo. Um, I'd like to go to point two right now. He showed his sympathy for them. Christ showed his sympathy for them. I have um, six pictures I'd like to show um, what it may look like to show sympathy for someone in this first picture. It's our sister, Mona, and um, uh, we're, we're praying for her um, at the park. Uh, once again, these are the same people we visit um, every day. Um, in the second picture, we're praying for our brother, uh, D, and they all have different requests. Some it may be housing, some it may be addiction, some it may be... Um, finding a job, some of the family members. Um, but when we sit and talk with people, we, we realize we connect to, through our struggles, through our loss, through our pain, right? We, we may not be able to, to relate to addiction, but we can relate to those things. That's what connects us, right? Being able to empathize, being able to sympathize with loss, with grief, with pain. Um, and so we feel like we're able to connect uh, through these means. And when we listen to someone, it gives them a, a uh, whatever it may be, 15 minutes a day that they usually are not afforded, with they, which they usually do not get. Um, uh, in the third picture, we're, we're praying with our sister, Alicia. Um, her dog was going through um, some stomach issues, and we had prayed for her dog. And, and praise the Lord, she said a week later, her, her dog felt um, better. Um, in the next um, picture, uh, one of our sister, Claudia, is praying with uh, uh, one of our sisters. Her name is Nene. And uh, she's right now trying to be reunited with her family. Uh, we visit her every day, spend some time with her. In the next picture, it's a uh, uh, family of um, seven. The lady's name is Mercy, and we found her. She said she was uh, suicidal, and she had given up on God because she said, how could God place my family and I in a park homeless, right? And um, one thing we can sympathize with is, hey, man, I would never want my children out here. And even though we could not do much, we showed up uh, that night and we bought their family pizza. And we just listened to their story. Um, we posted it um, online and people started contributing financially. And um, we were able, long story short, we were able to get her family um, into a hotel for about three months. Uh, we worked with the husband uh, and wife and we were able to help them fill out applications, resumes, both parents got jobs 
and the five children all finished school. This is while being homeless. Uh, we were able to um, uh, find two laptops for them and they all finished school. One graduated eighth grade and the seventh grader uh, finished with honor rolls. Currently, uh, they found a place to reside in San Diego uh, with jobs. Um, once again, being able to sympathize with people that we come across with, being able to connect through pain, through loss, through, 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 through grief, right? Um, and the, the last slide is um, the daughter uh, in this family. She's the youngest one. Uh, she's six years old. Her name is Crystal. And um, when she was at the park, this is the night we took them to a hotel uh, during the day, that, that day, there was a gentleman uh, in the park and he went up and he said, hey, you're beautiful and started kissing on the neck. Luckily uh, for, for her, her father was nearby and ran and, and chased off this man. And, you know, I, I, that day I was with uh, th uh, three gentlemen, uh, a guy named, uh, my roommate named Juan, uh, my friend named Jordan, uh, once again, my friend named Jasper. And I could see the, the pain in, in their face, their reaction, their, their eyes. And it was like, you know, this, this breaks my heart. And it didn't just stop. They didn't just, oh, this breaks my heart. I'm going to keep on walking. They, they instantly uh, went online, uh, donated um, uh, my, my roommate, um, gathered some of his friends, and they donated food. They prepared meals for this family. My friend Jordan uh, created a, a GoFundMe page that, that night. Uh, raised money for them. My friend Jasper, he's a photographer. He sold photographs and raised money for this family. So what does it look like to, to sympathize, to empathize with, with, with people in need? And, and not just sympathize, but act on it, right? And so this is a night, imagine this girl this morning, she's at a park and some stranger old man comes up and tries to kiss her repeatedly on the neck. How would you feel as a brother? How would you feel like as a parent? And what does it look like to take action? I, I would propose that that's what it looks like to see Christ in action. What I saw my roommate Juan do, what I saw my, my good friend Jordan do, what I saw one of my brothers Jasper do. I, I, I be, believe that's Christ in action. Um, currently the, 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 the mother um, asked for uh, Bible studies and, and she said, you know, it, it, I regained my hope. I regained my, my belief in, in God, my hope in God. I, I believe that there are good people out there. I believe Christ does exist. Isn't that crazy that, that a simple action like that, seeing someone on the side of the road, hearing their story, raising funds for them, bringing them a meal, bringing, bringing them shelter could make a, such difference, right? In seeing Christ. It wasn't a sermon. It was someone's actions where they were able to see Christ. Um, I want to go to the third point in, in Christ's method. Um, actually, let me finish point two. Um, what, what, um, Mercy said to us that, that first night, um, she said, hey, every day there's several churches that stop by, three to four churches that stop by, and they give us food, but you guys sat and ate with us. It's crazy because people will tell us all the time, hey, you know what, what do you, what, what do you, what do you guys appreciate, Mercy? What do you appreciate, Emo? Is it, is it the food? Is it the quality of food? No. Is it the food itself? No. Uh, you know, Three, three to four groups bring us food. We don't really need food. We think that's what they think. We, we think they need medical services. We think they need these things and we bring it to them with, with, and maybe in the, in the hopes of being the hero. But it's crazy that it's not the food that they're thanking for. What they thank us for is for seeing them, for stopping. Hey, what's your name? Oh, it's Mercy? What a beautiful name. My, my name is Bo. My name is Jordan. My name 
is, is Jasper and sitting with them and eating with them. Isn't it funny in ministry, when we, see, when we look at Christ's ministry, open up to any story, how does it start off? Christ is eating with them, right? People accuse him of being gluttonous. Isn't it funny that he breaks bread first, he provides their needs, he sympathizes with them, and then he ministers them, right? It's not, hey, let me, let me preach to you first and then I'll feed you. No, it's, hey, I wanna break bread together with you. I wanna eat with you first and then I want to minister to you. To me, being a foodie, this is a beautiful, you know, I might not be able to preach, but I can eat. I can eat with you. I can sit with you. I can learn your name. And I think anyone can do these things. That's why I tell people, hey, for so many years, I was like, I can't preach. I can't sing. What can I do in the church? Hey, I love to eat. I love to eat. So if you can eat, if you like eating, if you're an average, I said this the other day to, to someone, hey, if you're an average Joe, in my case, an average Bo, you can minister. You, you're, you're, you're a preacher, you're an influencer in your own area, your circle of friends. And hey, man, that's, I think that's all it needs, right? To do Christ's method, a willingness to build relationships with people, with the marginalized, with those on the outside. Um, let's go to point three. He ministered to their needs. Not, not what they wanted. Hey, we want you to come to our, 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 our medical clinic, our weekend medical clinic. Hey, we want to give, sell you this book. Hey, we want you to read this glow track. No, he ministered to their needs first. What, what does that look like? Well, I have a, a couple of photos here, um, five photos. In the first one, um, th this lady, uh, Kate, she didn't need a burrito. She, she, had, she had just got punched and she was bleeding from the face. And so uh, our brother, Sean, he is in med school here at Loma University. He stopped, he bandaged her wounds, and he prayed with her. She, she didn't need a burrito that day. She didn't need water. She didn't need a sleeping bag. She needed someone to take time to stop and bandage her wounds, right? Isn't, isn't that what Christ does? Isn't that he, he doesn't give you, sell you what he thinks you need? Hey, here's a glow track. What if they don't need a glow track? Maybe what they need is for you to stop, take time and hear what they need, ministering to their needs, that person that you're interacting with. And, and once again, if that person's Jesus, shouldn't we take time to, to find out what they need? In this second photo, um, we have a, a, a group um, of, of girls, her, the, the, the Bible study group, um, her name is Amber, and she brought her Bible study team out to this girl named Donna. And it's beautiful. They prepared this potluck and brought it out to her. And I said, man, this is, this is awesome. And she's like, you know what, Mo? We wanted to treat her like she's a queen. That's what she said verbatim. And, and they brought her this beautiful spread. They each cooked the dish. They, they put a mat out and they're eating with her. Uh, she had been in, um, she, they had asked her, hey, Donna, what would you like? And she said, you know what? I really enjoy pasta. And so they prepared this beautiful spread for her. She said she had, um, people had been dropping off things like, hey, people brought um, um, steak. Uh, some people brought chicken. Some people brought hamburgers. Some people brought tacos. But what she really wanted, all she wanted was some pasta. Um, and it was beautiful that this group of girls heard what she wanted, needed, and brought it. Um, and the next one, this is our sister, Debbie. Um, she, she had a, um, some, some wounds on her feet, and a group of girls bandaged them. In the next photo, it's brother Carl. Um, he didn't have any socks, so our, our, our friend, also Carl, gave him some socks. In the next photo... Um, we're running out of time, so I want to speed up a little. Our brother Warren, um, they had found out his favorite sub, and they brought it to him that day. So once again, ministering to people's needs, what do they need? Um, number four, 
Jesus won their confidence. He won their confidence, right? It wasn't like, oh, let me, let me tell you about my second coming. Hey, let me tell you about um, me. You guys, you, you guys need to earn me. You need to deserve me. No, Christ won their confidence. Think of how powerful that was, that, that he was in the streets winning the confidence of tax collectors, of prostitutes, of homeless people, right? And, and, and what made that look like? The next slide, I have a quote. Information without relationship is intimidation. This is once again, a beautiful quote that my friend Jasper says, information without relationship is intimidation. So what is it like when we go up to someone we call for it and we're like, hey, here's a book, Desire of Ages, you should buy it, it's five bucks. Do you know how intimidating that is? You don't know the person they're trying to get you to read this book or here's a glow track, read it. You don't even know the person. How, how intimidating would that be to you? If someone just came up, hey, you need to read this. Would you read it? Would you take the time to buy it? I propose, how much more powerful is that material if you have a relationship with a person? Um, I have some photos um, about winning someone's confidence uh, in this uh, picture. My brother Jasper is eating with my brother Shaggy. Um, Shaggy at first had this pit bull that would bark at everyone, but we started coming out every day and his, and his, his dogs, uh, Dino, started befriending us and actually started liking when we came around, started letting us pet them, eat with them. Um, so maybe this is what winning someone's confidence looks like. And the next photo, uh, once again, my, my brother uh, Jasper is eating um, uh, right here um, uh, with my brother Dennis. And at first, uh, when we first met Dennis, he didn't want any part of eating with us, sitting with us, but coming over repeatedly with time every day, seven days a week, he started allowing us to eat with him. And the next photo is uh, my brother, Josh, big, tall guy. We called him Big Josh. Um, we had known this man. He got baptized a month ago, but for about 10, 10 weeks, um, every day, we, we always finish with, hey, would you like prayer? And he would always say, no, we don't want prayer. But after coming every day for about eight weeks, he said, you know what? I would like prayer. We started praying for him. He asked for Bible studies. And then he, it ended up with baptism. But once again, winning someone's confidence, winning someone's friendship, uh, not just assuming, hey, um, I'm going to pray for you. Hey, I'm going to give you this book. Um, the next slide is a beautiful quote um, from an evangelist named Ty Gibson. People almost always stay where they are feel, seen, heard, figured in, and loved. Going along with the, what Jonathan said, John said earlier about people joining gangs. So how true is this? People almost always stay where they feel seen, heard, figured in, and loved. Belonging. So how many times do we include this in ministry? Maybe, maybe it's important before we preach to people, before we give them books, before we invite them to help us, to let them know, hey, we see you, we hear you, we love you. So I hope uh, we can all remember that um, in, in our ministries and our churches, the last step, the last one in, in the Christ method is, then he bade them follow me. Then he invited them to church. Then he preached to them. Then he gave them the gold track. Then he gave them desire of ages. The, notice, notice the follow me. Notice the, the, the invite to baptism. Notice the, uh, the, 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 the invitation of follow me is a very last step after meeting basic needs, after building relationship, after, after, after meeting their needs. Um, and, and I want to show you some photos of what that may look like. Four photos. This is Brother Josh when he got baptized. It's a beautiful photo. But once again, it's after mingling with him, after caring about him, desiring his good, after building uh, meeting his needs after sympathy, after winning his confidence. 
this is this the second photo is, is um, um, uh, another our our last baptism two weeks of brother Vince and once again this is after we mingled with him after we met his base needs after we built a relationship. The next is um, uh, uh, brother Charles. Uh, once again we met his um, our brother in the in the park. We won his confidence. We built a relationship. We met his basic needs. And then he had Bible studies and then he got baptized. He's currently, he went to a detox program. He's currently reunited with his family in Washington, DC. Um, in the previous slide, uh, brother Vince, um, he went, also went through a detox program and now he's reunited with his family in, in Austin. The first slide that I showed you, brother Josh, he was at the park. He got, we built a relationship. He had Bible studies. He got baptized and now he's reunited with his family in Atlanta. I'm not trying to point out the, the reuniting with the family. I'm not trying to point out the baptism, but the steps before that, the, the, the mingling with them, the sympathy, the meeting the basic needs, the building a relationship. Um, and the, um, the next slide is, is uh, Brother Manny. He was a drug dealer. Um, once again, we, we mingled with him. We built a relationship. We built a friendship. We meet, met his basic, basic needs. We sympathized. And he asked for Bible studies. He got baptized by his brother, who's an evangelist. Um, and then I have a slide right here. Um, it says, no we versus them, only us. So many times in homeless ministries, I hear, you know, how can we help them? How can we change them? Hey, Bo, what can we do to help them? What do they need? You know, I, I, I propose once, once we get past the, the we versus them and it's just we, it looks so much more different. Well, how do you go during this pandemic out and feed homeless people? Well, it's a lot easier when it's we, when it's my family member, when it's my brother. Stop looking at it as, as, as them, the homeless people, and me. You know, what if it's your brother calling you? What if it's your sister calling you? What if it's your family member? What if it's your best friend calling you? Hey, can you come bring me a cold drink? Can you bring me something to eat? How many of you guys would go out then? How many of you guys would risk going, leaving your house, the comforts of your house at that point? I, I think all of us, right? So I think once we get past the mindset of we versus them and only view us as we, as us, um, ministry, churches look a lot different. Um, I want to finish once again with the last slide um, with Christ's method. I want to read it one more time to finish. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching people. The Savior mingled with men as one who desired their good. He showed sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence. Lastly, then he bade them follow me. So I'd like to encourage all of you guys today, if there's one thing that you guys remember, remember, you know, it, it's not about what, 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 what we want, but, but what Christ did, right? Mingling with them, desiring their good, having sympathy, meeting their basic needs, winning their confidence, and then asking them, hey, would you like to follow Christ? Um, Hey, I appreciate your time, Jonathan. Um, uh, I think you wanted to finish with uh, some questions. You know, I'm sorry if you weren't able to hear me. Uh, thank you both for that great presentation. Uh, hopefully you guys were inspired in the same way that I was inspired. Man, there were a couple of moments in there where I was tearing up right there. And, uh, you know, Bo is an example of, of, ministry in action. 
and crisis method, right? Bo, really quick before we jump into the questions, is there any way that people can find out more about you? Uh, yeah, our, our ministry, um, we have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. It's Fusion San Bernardino Ministries. Uh, so Fusion, F-U-S-I-O-N, and then San Bernardino uh, Ministries. Um, and we have everything on there that we, um, um, whether if you want to participate or donate, uh, we would love for you to participate or, or get involved in any way. Uh, if you're if you're local, please jump in with us. We would, we would um, love to have you guys join us. If you're far away, you can always donate financially or or food or, or hygiene products. Uh, but uh, any way that you can, um, you can get involved. And it's not just our ministry. I would always also most importantly encourage you guys to use this method, Christ method to reach people in your communities, in your sphere of influence, in your cities, in your communities, in your ministry, in your churches. Uh, that's the number one reason uh, we came out. Uh, we spent this time together today, not to, not to boost our ministry, but uh, that we can all take this um, beautiful quote by LG White and, and apply it in our, our communities. All right. Ruben, you want to take us away for questions, if there's any? Yeah. Yes, uh, so we had a couple of questions before, and uh, one of them for you, John. How do you establish? How do you establish? What are your strategies to establish the relationship that you mentioned to gain that trust for the fundraising process? So, if you could give us some input uh, there. Sure. Uh, really quick. Feel free. Uh, my my um, my email is eight seven h u y n h. 87huynh at gmail.com. Feel free to contact me uh, afterwards as well, too. Or my phone number is 626-283-1341. Again, it's 626-283-1341. Feel free to shoot me a text message. If I we don't have time or uh, if something occurs, I'd be more than happy to answer your questions. But, you know, engagement in, in donors, if you're an existing uh, uh, ministry right now, I would suggest giving a call to your top 50, top 100 donors right now. And just asking about, don't even, they're going to think right off the bat that you, you're calling them for a donation. Don't even feel that way. Make them feel as if they belong. Ask for their well-being. How has COVID been impacting you and your family? That's the only question. And just listen to them. I guarantee you, it will switch their, their, their mindset. Wow, they weren't even asking for a donation, right? Or, or I'd ask them, if, it's, if you don't have an existing donor base, ask yourself, hey, the question is, who do I want to be a donor, right? Uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, she just got into uh, a new fundraising job and starting off from scratch. One of the things that I told her is that, hey, engage community leaders, right? Follow the council people and so councilmen and, and mayors and so forth. Ask them the question, you know, how do we, how can we, how can I engage you even more? How can, how can our ministries collaborate, right? And once you get that aspect, you know, you, you create opportunities. All I do as a fundraiser by trade is I find opportunities for them to be engaged. Whether it be, if I was in both shoes, I would have asked them to come out in the field with me. I would ask them to say, hey, uh, uh, I got a situation. I'll give you a really good story. Okay, I'll give you a really good, really good story and I'll end this. Is the, one of the donors for Loma Linda Hospital uh, gave money. And he was uh, awarded for a philanthropist of the year. And they asked him the question, why do you give to Loma Linda University? And he says, listen, their hospital uh, uh, president would call me uh, in the evening 
even though he, I knew he knew the answers to it, but he would just give me a call to ask me what my thoughts were. I feel so engaged, even though I already knew that he knew the answer already. And that's why I give. Hopefully that's, that's the sense of belonging that you did talk very well and explained very well, exactly, right? Making, yeah. making people have the sense of belonging. That's Absolutely. extremely important. It was fascinating that you shared that even gangs do that, right? And the, as you said, they don't want to engage necessarily in the activities, but they want to belong to that group, right? That's exactly. the, that's a very important key. Exactly. And the, and how often do you actually contact these um, uh, these donors? And how is that strategy of following up that you mentioned? Yeah, let me ask you this. How often do you follow up with your uh, family members? Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's kind of like the same thing with Bo. It's not, uh, it's not we versus them, but us, right? And uh, we are in this entire ship at the same time. How do we divide, create, break down those barriers between ministry and, and, and us? And, and, you know, how do we close that and create a, a sense of belonging for the whole entire ownership? even leaking onto the donors and so forth, right? And that's my goal as a fundraiser. How do I bridge that gap? And it, it, it's, it's funny how Ruben, you said like, like the gangs, and why can't we as an Adventist church with Christ's message of hope, why can't we hold people to believe that, right? Mm-hmm. Why can't we help them belong that way? It is as if Christ, we wake up every morning and, and Christ, I can imagine him in tears, in tears because he wants his prodigal son to come home. He wants his prodigal son to be reminded that he, he has a place right here in my palace. Right? Very good. Excellent. So uh, we have uh, finished our time today, and it was really good to have uh, this uh, phenomenal presentation. Thank you both to John and Bo. This is going to be available as a recording as well at the ASI platform and also at Aldiverse. So we now invite you to continue to... Uh, watch and uh, and really interact uh, on the plenary session tonight and also tomorrow for the Sabbath day. Thank you and see you again. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www www.asiministries.org or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons please visit www.audioverse.org